Well, good morning. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith. So what I have done over the last week or so is I have listened to the message that uh, Pastor Marvin Hightower preached a couple of weeks ago when he was with us, the president of NAACP and a pastor here in Peoria. I listened to his message and his challenge for us. I listened to the message that my good friend, Pastor Nate Terry, brought last Sunday. And as I was listening to those messages, there were some things that God was speaking to my heart that I'm going to now deliver to you this morning. And so I'm excited about this message um, I'm going to share with you the title, and I know when I share the title, some of you are going to already have some preconceived notions but about what I'm going to preach, but I would ask you to just hold those preconceived notions in your pocket. Don't pull them out, because it may surprise you on what I actually say. So the title of my message this morning is a new, The New You, The New Church. The New You, The New Church. And so, like I said, before you cast any kind of judgment on the title of this message, before you shut, off, shut me off in your mind, I'm going to need you to openly, think openly, think lovingly, and allow God to speak to your heart for the duration of this message this morning. This may very well rock some of your thoughts, some of your theology, and more than likely, it will rock even your life this morning, because it did mine, and I, I don't know if you, if those of you who have not heard this from me before, many of you had, when I preached a word, I preached to myself before I preached to anyone else, meaning that I internalize this message. It convicts me every single week, and I've said this before, and I'll say it until I'm until God calls me home, is I will not preach a message that does not convict me of my, of my life. If I walk out of church feeling good about how I'm living, then I don't, I don't feel like I've done my job. So if you walk out of church feeling really good about how you're living your life, then I think I have failed that day as your pastor and as the, a preacher of the word, because the Bible's very clear. It's the Bible that's the word of God that brings conviction. And if the word of God is being preached, then it should bring conviction to our hearts. And so that's what this message has done. So for it, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 7. If you want to open up your Bible, your device to that, you can. It'll also be on the screen. But Romans chapter 7, verse number 6 is where I'm pulling um, the, uh, the bulk of our message from. And this is what the Bible says. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. So we're talking about the new you as we begin this message. Now, I don't want to just leave this thought incomplete in your mind, and so I'm going to look at it with a little bit more context and a little bit more depth. So let's, let's actually look, because in order to study Scripture, you have to study. You can't just take one passage of Scripture and say, okay, this is what that means. You have to study the stuff that comes before, the stuff that comes after. There's a whole process to studying the Bible that is very critical. So I'm going to, I'm going to share with you a few thoughts from what comes before. In verse number 4 of, of, of Romans chapter 7, the, the Bible says, so my dear brothers and sisters, sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. 
When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. And then back to the verse that I read already. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And so a couple of things I want to pull out of this passage of Scripture for you. You find the word united in this passage of Scripture. and It's translated actually in the King James Version as you are married to it. And so here's, here's what's really cool. The united word is cool. The married word is cool. But the issue is in the original context, in the original language, it actually, he's literally saying you have become changed in condition, position, state, and place. That's what that word actually is translated to mean. The word united or the word married means you have been, com- you have been, you have been, let me go back to my notes so I don't miss, mess what I said because I, I pulled a definition right out of the original language. That you have been changed in condition, position, state, and place. But it doesn't just stop there. It's, and made one with Christ. Changed in condition, position, and state, and place. And made one with Christ. So in order to fulfill the scripture, the word of God that Paul is preaching. He is saying you have to become one in Christ, but you have to become changed in your condition. What condition is that? The condition of your heart, the condition of your mind, the condition of your body, your soul has to be changed. Your position has to be changed. What does that mean? When you are positioned with Christ, you take on a lowly seat with Christ. You take on a seat that says, I am not this high and high and mighty man. I am not this, this perfect person. I have not got this all figured out. You have to change your position. It's the same thing when a man and mar- woman get married, the position changes. When a single woman is living her life, she's living her life with Christ. When a ma- single man is living his life, he's living his life with Christ. When the two become one in, in marriage, the position changes. The single woman is no longer all in of her own. The single man is no longer all in of his own, but he becomes actually the priest of his home and biblically orderly as the priest of that house and the head of that household. And a woman becomes subjective to the man, not in an abusive fashion that the liberal left wants to say that that's what happens. It's actually a biblical fashion. The part of the reason why marriages fail so badly today in the church as they do anywhere else is because... There is a disorder in the order that God created. And I know that's not popular preaching, but that's why they fail. That's the bottom line, because we try to become something that we're not meant to become. Our position has to be changed. So our, in order to live united with Christ and live as one, we have to change our condition, change our position, change our state. That doesn't mean leave Illinois, although some folks would like to do so. That doesn't mean leave Illinois, because here's the reality. If you decide on your own to leave Illinois, then you're deciding that God put you in the wrong place. It's just the the way I see it. If I make a decision of my own, I'm saying, God, you put me in the wrong place. You've done the wrong thing. Now, if God leads me out of the city, out of the state of Illinois, that's a different story. If he's called me to leave, that's a different story. But people just up and leave and do whatever they want because I don't like the taxes here. Okay. 
I've been living here for five years. I don't like the taxes either. I don't like the real estate taxes. I don't like how much money I got to pay for something. I'm a pastor of a church. My wife is a school teacher. I've got a bivocational job, and I've still figured it out for five years. Why? Because I'm where God's called me to be. And so you have to change even your state, and it's the state he's talking about is the state of your mind. What you think, how you think, it changes everything. If you, you can look at every situation in a certain perspective and say, oh, woe is me, and oh, life is difficult, and oh, this is challenging, and oh, I'm suffering, or oh, I don't not, this isn't fair, why, oh, why, oh, why, why, why me? The state of your mind is stuck on everything that's negative. Or you can take the same problems, take a whole different approach, and declare things like, it is well with my soul. And when you do that, you are changing your state. So you have changed in condition, you have changed in position, you have changed in your state, and then you have to change in place. What does that mean? That means that I take and I put God first. I am below God. I am not him. I'm not making my own decisions. I'm not making my own choices. I am changing my place. I am changing my place and saying, God, you are first. You are for first and foremost most important, and my relationship with you supersedes anything else that I have going on in my life. My relationship with God supersedes my work. It supersedes my wife. It supersedes my children. Everything and anything around me, my relationship with God is first and foremost number one. That is the place that has to change. See, when we start looking at that process and start looking at what being united and being married is really about, you can look at the world and see why there are some challenges that we face. You can look at the church and see why there are challenges that we face because we have not changed or desired to change these things about us. As a matter of fact, if, you, if the, this word in context, in the same context, is also found in Luke, Revelation, and Acts, and it signifies that we have become the property of Jesus bought and paid for as if I walked up to your mama, gave her a hundred bucks and said, give me your kid forever. I own them now. Some of y'all probably take that deal, but in some days I think I might too. But in reality, that's what it is. I have become the property of Christ. If you look at that same word in context in Luke and in, in Revelation and in Acts, he's saying we have become the property of Jesus. So it's not as simple as just being united or being married, at least not in our Western thought process or ideology. It's the idea that I am no longer my own. And if I'm not my own, that means I can't make my own decisions. That's why I tell our young people all the time, like when I, when I showed up on, on a scene in a church as a youth pastor, I asked a question to the older students, well, where are you going to go to college? Well, I want to go here, and I want to go there, and I, 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 want to, want to, want to, and I'm like, so where's God want you to go? I don't know. It's like, whew, we got some work to do. Because, and that's, and that's, so even in my own family, that's how I, where do you think God wants you to be? I know you want to do this, but what do you think God wants you to do? Because we don't even consider that because we think, oh, it's our life to live and our life to decide. And our th No, you were bought and paid for with a price. It's not your life to decide. It's not your life to live. It's God's life to live through you. And then when we get that, that comprehension, now we can understand who we actually are and how we are actually supposed to exist in this world. And, uh, and so... When I look at these, 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 these phrases, the next phrase that in this passage of scripture that's translated causes it to lose power a little bit because the idea, idea is conveyed that you can produce. If you look at, at, the, at the verse I read in Romans chapter 6, 
or ver- uh, going through says you, when we were controlled. With, uh, sorry, lost my spot there. He says, and you can produce fruit. You can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. You can. It, it, it actually loses its, its, its power because it's saying, no, you can do this if you like. No, it's not optional. When you've committed your life to Christ and you become united with him, you must produce fruit. That's why even Jesus walking, walking through, through the land and he comes upon a fig tree that was producing no fruit, what did he do? He cursed it and said, yeah, you're not producing anything. You just wither and die. Matter of fact, some theologians believe, and, and, and it's not necessarily completely proven or even disproven, but when I was in Israel, I was driving through, and I, I, the tour guide we were with actually showed us the land that they believed Jesus was walking on when he cursed that fig tree. And here's what's interesting about that piece of property is that entire piece of property produces nothing. It's been harvested. I mean, it has literally been plowed. It has been seeded. It has been treated. It has been all these things, and it literally produces nothing. The land all around it is producing crop. It's producing olives. It's producing all kinds of things, but this little land right here is producing nothing. Theologians believe that that's the area where Jesus walked and cursed the tree that would wither and die. And so the idea of the fact that if we are not producing fruit, if we are not producing what God wants us to produce, the question then becomes, how new are you in Christ? How new have you been made? Now, yes, there is a journey and there is a time, but at some point in time, you got to stop drinking the milk and start eating the meat. That's how that works. That's how the process works. We want to drink milk all the time. And I don't know if you've ever seen, but if it, it, the, the science says that if all we consume is milk and the fattiness of milk, it's going to come in and it's just going to blow up that belly and you're just going to get fat and unhealthy. But it's the protein of the meat that actually brings health to our body. And that's what the word of God is. The word of God is that meat, that protein that brings health. If we sacrifice it and we don't eat it, then all we're doing is sipping on milk and we're just going to be immature all our lives. That's the facts. That is the facts. So it's time to step out and start eating some of this meat. And this is what that is. It's understanding exactly what is God saying and requiring me of, of me as a believer. It's not just to say, oh, I got, I got fire insurance. You know, that day I raised my hand and asked for Jesus to live in my house, I got fire insurance. So I don't have to burn in fire. I got some insurance. I'm good to go. But that's not what he's called us to be when he, when he starts to unveil his word. There is something that we should be doing, and producing fruit is one of those things that we must do. He goes on to say that while you were controlled by your sinful nature, you weren't even capable of producing fruit for God. So as long as we're controlled by our sinful nature, we're not even capable of producing fruit. So look at the life and and, and use these moments as an opportunity to evaluate your life and say, where do I stand in my walk with Christ and the sinful nature that I have? Because you were all born into sin, therefore your nature is to sin. It's just, it's who we are. My nature is not to glorify God. Folks want to act like, oh, I am blessed and highly favored and I walk on water like Jesus. But the reality is you were born to sin because you were born in sin. And that is it. That is the nature of humanity. The nature of all humanity. That's why Jesus said, that's why when Jesus said, uh, why do you call me good? There's no one good but the Father. No, God makes us righteous 
through Christ, but he doesn't necessarily make us good. He makes us righteous. Righteousness and goodness aren't the same thing. We are made righteous through Christ. He is that gap, the bridge between a perfect God and a flawed humanity is this perfect Jesus. He bridges the gap so that we can actually get to God. He doesn't make us good. We are inherently not good. We are sinful nature human beings. And so as long as we are bound by our sinful nature, we cannot produce fruit for God. As a matter of fact, what we produce, according to this passage of scripture, is that we produce death. Very simple, the wages of sin is death. I know this is not popular preaching, it's not exciting, it's not super cool, it's just, but this is the word. And if we don't get this, then here's, here's the problem. We can never actually be the church that we're supposed to be if we're not the you that we're supposed to be. Never be. People want to argue, I'm going to get to this in a moment, and, and this has been said, but people want to argue about the government took God out of the, out of the school. No, he, no, they did not. Christians took God out of the school because they stopped bringing him to school. So because the government said, I can't read my Bible, that means I'm not, God's not allowed to be in the school. Well, last I checked, God is within us. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the grave is the Spirit that lives within us. And if we are in a place, then guess who else is in the place? God is in the place. So you can't say, oh, well, the government took God out of school. No, we took God out of school. The government took God out of the family. No, we took God out of the family. Why? Because we decided, somebody decided a long time ago that this day right here just doesn't matter. Sunday is a day for family to go and do whatever you want to do. And while, you know what, there's maybe some truth in that and some, and some necessity when it comes to rest in the Sabbath, but the reality is we, forsake the, we forsook the assembly of God's people. We stopped meeting together as it was customary, even Jesus' day, if you remember the story, I'm getting a little bit off my notes, but I'm just feeling something here. If you remember the story of when Jesus was young and his parents left him, and about a day later, they're like, hey, where's Jesus? Anybody seen Jesus? And they finally go back to find Jesus, and what does he say? Where did you think I would be? I was in my father's house. That's not our thought process anymore. Our thought process will put us anywhere but the father's house. And I don't even necessarily mean the brick and mortar building of a Sunday morning father's house, but I mean the Monday morning kneeling time that is the father's house, the Tuesday afternoon closet time that is the father's house, or the Wednesday afternoon that I decide that I'm going to go buy this person lunch because I want to bless them in the father's house. That's the house of the father, not just the Sunday morning gathering, but you can't possibly even even manifest that kind of love or manifest that kind of outpouring without first being changed in everything the way that you are and the way that we think. A couple of y'all get it. I like it. But there is this idea that this producing fruit thing is optional and it's not optional. It's, it's, it's a necessity. It's a must if you call yourself a man or woman of Christ. So that's pretty much what Paul is saying in verse number six. He, is, he goes on to, in, in verse number six, he's saying, well, but God. That's really what that's beginning to translate to. So this is all that we've done. This is how we've made our lives. We've been subjected to the sinful nature. We have tried to live according to the law, but God gave us a new way. He gave us his son, Jesus. He gave us this new wave to be released from the law, to no longer be captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in an old way, 
but in a new way, a spirit-filled and a spirit-led way. So, but here's the challenge. Once we've adopted this new way into our own hearts and we've become this new person, or as my, my man, Pastor Nate, preached a couple months ago, the new new, once we become this new new that God has called us to be, this new person that he's called us to be, we think that that means that's for me. But the reality is it's not for you. You, your, your portion of it was settled when you said, Jesus, here I am. Take me. Your portion was settled. That was it. The rest of your life is for God's people. The rest of your life is for his kingdom. It's not for you. It's not for me. It's for his kingdom. My, everything for me was settled. Man, I gave my life to Jesus. That's it. My mansion was settled. I'm good to go. I'm in heaven. I got this thing going on. I'm excited about But now the rest of my life isn't about that. I mean, how boring of a life would it be for me to live and say, my life is all about this mansion I'm waiting for in heaven? There's no, there is no fruit. That's just me looking, that's me being so heavenly minded. I ain't no earthly good. I'm just staring up to heaven and saying, Jesus, come take me. I'm ready for my mansion. Ready to walk on those streets of gold. I mean, it's beautiful when I think about it and I don't mind getting there one day, but you know what? I'm not ready yet because I've not accomplished on earth what I'm supposed to accomplish yet. So that moment was for you. That was it. You sealed. It's done. Now you've got work to do. That's where it comes into being the new church. But when I say the new church, I really mean the ancient church. Because we have this, we have this thought process. And I, I, was, I was subjected to it and I was sold out to it. And, 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 and I've repented for it. But I used to be the guy that said, man, we've got to grow. We want to grow. And I was that, that way as a youth pastor. I was that way as a lead pastor. I want to grow. I want to grow. I want to grow. So let me read books on growth. Got to read books on church growth. Got to read books on getting bigger and getting better. Got to read books on this. Got to read books on that. And, and we get so consumed by all these things that we want to read that make us more intelligent or make us more skilled or make us more these things. And those aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But when that's what we subject ourselves to as the church, now we have created a new church that is an unbiblical church. Because the ancient way and what should be the modern way is really wrapped up in one thing. Loving people. Loving God. My man Nate preached last week. And loving one another. That's what everything is about. That's what Jesus came and died for. See, the overwhelming majority of America doesn't even attend church or worship service on any, any Sunday morning, Saturday night, or whatever. The overwhelming majority doesn't even attend anymore. Why do you think that is? Some people would say, oh, well, you know, it's the generation. The overwhelming majority of people my age don't even attend church. So it's not just a generational thing. Why do you think that is? Because when they walk into the church, they get judged, they get persecuted, they get looked at, they get laughed at, they get looked at and say, well, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. That's it. That's what people do. That's what the church does. So overwhelmingly, we've decided to step out. So I don't need that church. Now we've believed, we bought into the lie that says, well, I don't need to go to church. Jesus just loves me the way that I am. I'm good. That's the lie now we've bought into. Why? Because it tells me I'm okay with where I am and I don't have to go here because every time I go here, let me tell you, Christians are some of the most judgmental people I've ever met in my life. 
Trust me, you want to know if that's true or not? Be a pastor. Be a pastor and preach the gospel to a whole bunch of people that love you when you, they agree with you. And when they disagree with you, they try to take things over. Or they disagree with you, they got to go all over the neighborhood, the community, and start talking about you. That's not Jesus. That's not love. That's why the church is dying. That's it. It's becoming a thing that says churches that are small are staying small. And they're staying small with people who want to be there. Because the average person wants to find a place they can hide. That's why, and I got nothing wrong with big churches. I love big churches. They can do some really awesome things if they are centered and focused on Christ. I love the big church. But there, there's, it's easy to get lost in a big church. It's easy to hide in a big church and say, oh, I've checked off my box and I went to church today. I'm good. It's an easy thing to do. But it's because it's born out of this, this idea of the American church has decided let's do everything we can to make them come to us. But that's not even the, that's not the gospel. That's not the Bible in any way, shape, or form. But So we think about it and we look at the rapid decline of the church in America as it's compared to even the church in Europe and we think we've got to do something new, right? We've got to do something new, but no, the reality is we just have to do something ancient. We just have to love people. We have to embrace them, welcome them. Not, the second you start to run your mouth about something, someone, it's it. The love is out the window. That's not love. We don't need a new kind of church. We need to remember the roots of the church and recapture the missional heartbeat of the ancient biblical church. That's where we are. That's what we need. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus even instructed him. He said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' command to his people were to go. Not compel, not, not hey, tell them to come. Everybody, let's, let's, let's just build this church, let's preach the gospel, and let's wait for them to come. If you build it, they will come. That's what the church has become. But Jesus said, go. That go was both had two sides to it. It had an intentionality to it, that it was requesting and requiring you to go, but it also had a passivity to it, meaning as you are going. So intentionally go. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we plant churches. That's why we do those things because we're intentionally going. But the passivity of it is that as I am going, that's what that means. As you are living your life, make disciples. You know, we think making disciples is taking a hammer of judgment and beating over their sinful head what they're doing wrong. But Jesus modeled what making a disciple was. He said, I'm going to love you. In spite of your sin, I'm going to love you. In spite of your struggle, I'm going to love you. In spite of what you've done, I'm going to love you. I'm not going to beat you with a hammer. Because that's, that's what he, that's, that's, after all, it's what he requires. It's what he desires. It's what he started. I believe that it's by the Spirit's empowerment that we have to understand that in our, through our personal experience, through our preaching and through our teaching is how we will make disciples. And loving people. Matter of fact, um, a guy I look up to in ministry said this. He said, church is not a place where we go. Church is the identity of a people joining Jesus on his mission as they go. Derwin Gray, one of my favorite pastors in the world, pastors of a church called Transformation Church in North Carolina. 
champions a multi-ethnic cause. And this is, this is what he said. Put that slide back up for me, Nick. Church is not a place where we go. The church is the identity of a people joining Jesus on his mission as they go. What was Jesus' mission? To love everyone. And if we're going to be the church, the ancient church, we need to love everyone. That's why I, I don't look at the missionary's life and suggest that it's the missionary's job to win people to Christ or it's the pastor's job to win people to Christ. It's, here's what my job, my job is very simple. In all of this, my job is simple. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's my job. As your pastor, it's my job to equip you to do work, not to do the work, but to equip you to do the work. But here's the thing. I equip you to do the work, and then I do the work alongside of you. That's what it's supposed to look like. Not just me standing up here on my platform and saying, okay, now you guys go and do it while I sit down and chill. No, it's I've equipped you, now let's do it together. That's what the church is supposed to look like. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. It is supposed to be taken into the business world, the education at all levels, science, politics, arts, music, media, technology, and the gym that you frequent when you work out. That's where the gospel is supposed to be taken. And if I forgot to mention a place, that place too. All the world. Go into all the world. See, I believe on the, on the weekend the church gathers. Throughout the week we scatter. That's what happens. The church gathers on a weekend. Throughout the week we scatter. Now, do we scatter and just live our lives? Or do we scatter and as we're going preach the gospel? You don't have to have a theology degree to preach the gospel. Some crazy fool brought up that idea. I remember the first day that somebody asked me, where'd your theology degree come from? I'm like, I don't have one of those. They were like, then why can you preach? It's because Jesus told me to. And then I'm studying, studying to show myself approved, not just I'm going to preach because I want to and let me open the Bible and just start telling you what I think it says. There's a process to it, but theology degree is not the process. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. I love, I'm, I'm, I've become a fan of education. I didn't start out that way, but I've become a fan of education to the point that at some point in time in my future, near future, hopefully, but at some point in time in my near future, I'm going to get, go back to school and get a master's degree in theology because I love the Word of God that much, and I, wanna, I want education and teaching and learning from people who are smarter than me because there's a lot of them out there, and I, I, I love that, but that's not why I preach that's not why I go. That's just something to help equip me to do it. But you don't have to have that to do this job. You don't have to have that to preach the gospel. It's, it's, it's life. It's living your life. It's loving people. So what does that look like? Real simple, love one another's family. Love one another's family. Because here's what I've come to realize about family. Even the family that you don't like, you will fight somebody for. It's fact. My sister and I have grown up, and, and we've not liked each other very much at all in our lives. And I could tell you stories upon stories upon stories of horrendous things I did to my sister because I didn't like her. And she did the same thing. Imagine, imagine how rough it could be, and that's my, me and my sister's relationship. Things like launching basketballs from 30 feet away to pound her in the back of the head with it and laughing when she falls down. To her getting a football helmet and smacking me with a football helmet while I sleep. 
it's funny. You can laugh. It's okay. That's, that's the volatility of my sisters and my relationship. But I almost killed a man for touching her. I almost killed a guy. When I was a teenager, I was going to cut somebody for touching my sister. I had to cut him because he was bigger than me. But that's, that's what we'll do. We'll fight for family. We will, kill, we will cut you over family. Whether we like them or not makes no difference. That's how we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love God and love one another to the point that it does not matter what they do to us personally. We still love them. That's a difficult thing, to, a concept to grasp, but it is the reality of the gospel. They've offended you? Great. Turn the other cheek. How many times should you forgive someone? As often as they offend you. If they offend you once, forgive them once. If they offend you a million times, forgive them a million times. That's the gospel. Keep turning cheeks. You got four of them. Keep turning, giving them all. Rotate through. It'll ease some of the pain. So let me tell you a little bit. I, I got to have fun. If I ain't doing this and having fun, then I'm, I'm just not being me. People ask me at Chick-fil-A all the time, are you the same person when you preach? I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes even a little worse. But. but here's how we do it. How do we love one another? It's a great question. I am so glad you asked. Because I have an answer for you. And there are four answers, four blanks. Very simple, and we're going to end, we're going to wrap up this message this morning. Very simple. You love one another. In humility, you love one another. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take the interests in others too. Here's what that actually means. It sounds like, oh, okay, let me sit down and have a conversation with you about something that I don't care about so I can show interest in you. No, no, no. It's think of others before yourselves. Put others' interests and desires before your own. That's, that's what that means. It's not my will be done. It's his will be done. And this is his will, that we humble ourselves with one another. We put one another first. People say all the time, the, one of the most popular phrases that have come out of the last 10 years is, I'm going to do me. Go ahead. You can go do you. You'll be doing it without Jesus because that's not how Jesus is. Jesus never did him. Matter of fact, he humbled himself to what? To the cross and suffered. Here's, here, this, you want to talk about theology mess up? Let me mess up your theology on life right now. Christian means to be like Christ. Christ humbled himself to a cross and suffered and died for people who would hate him. That's your call. That's what you're called to do. If you're going to be like Christ, that's what it is. It's embracing the suffering of Christ, humbling ourselves even unto death for one another. That's what loving one another in humility looks like. The second way we love one another is we honor one another. This is where it's going to get ugly for some folks. We honor one another. James chapter 4. James is a nasty book. It will wreck your life. James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Whew. 
God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? That's the word of God. That's James telling you, you ain't got, you've got no right to judge your neighbor. Now, let's, let's be careful now. Because here's what's happened because of scriptures like this. Well, you can't tell me that I'm in sin. You're judging me. Nope. That's not, what, that's not what James is talking about. That's not what the gospel is talking about. Matter of fact, that there's scripture to refute, to refute that idea when it says when someone is in sin that you are to restore them gently and humbly, which means you go to them, you have that conversation, and you restore them gently and humbly. So it's not a, you're in, if you're, you're in sin, let me judge. It's not judgment. That's what's happened. If I, if I, were, to, if I were to offend you, and you come to me and tell me this is what you said and it offended me. I can't, I can't do anything other than apologize and say I'm sorry that I offended you. You're calling me out for my sin. That's what you're doing. And it's okay because that's what we're supposed to do with one another. We're supposed to iron sharpens iron, right? I'm not going to sharpen you with a little, I'm going I'm to polish you with a, with a cloth. I'm going to make you all pretty on the outside with a cloth. With a cloth. But it's the iron, the grinding, the sharpening, the, 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 the sparks that come from sharpening is when you're made well, when you're made right with Christ, when you grow. But you do it in an honoring way. You don't speak evil against each other. The moment you look at somebody and judge them or speak evil against them because of how they look or because of how they dress or because of how they live, now you're not loving and you're not honoring you go through something, the first thing that we do is we go to Facebook. Let me tell you about what this person did. And we will blast them on Facebook for all the world to see. Now, your sin just got multiplied by the 500 people that watch you. That's all you did was multiply your sin. I was, I'm, so glad that, I'm so glad that Facebook and all that stuff was not a thing when I was a kid. Man, it's tough to be a teenager today. It's tough to be a teenager today. Life is so fast. It's so, it, life is so fast and so difficult, and you have access to so much so quickly. The mind's not built to contain that. That's why teenagers get all jacked up. Yeah. But don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. Number three, the third thing that we do to show our love for one another is we connect with one another. We connect with one another. That's how we show love for one another is we connect with each other. That's why I stand and I make a big deal about being a part of a small group because we are meant to do life together. We're meant to connect with each other. If you just come to church on a Sunday, then dissipate throughout the week and then come back on Sunday, let me tell you what you're doing. You're saying, God, here is my garbage. I'm laying it at your feet. Thank you for your presence. And then on your way out, you're grabbing it with your foot. You're dragging it so no one can see you drag it back out because then you're going to come back the next week and do it again. The idea of connecting with one another, especially in a small group, means I can say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Pray for me. Help me. Walk with me through this. That's the idea of connecting with one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. I will be the first one to tell you all the things I don't know because the list is long. The list of what I don't know is so much longer than the list of what I know. 
I mean, it's not even close. So much longer. And I've been living my life for Christ for 20 years and doing everything that I can to abstain from as much sin as I possibly can. I still don't know what I'm doing. That's the bottom line. I don't know what I'm doing. So I connect with other people. One of the greatest blessings of being and striving, here's what I love. One of the greatest blessings of being and striving to be a multi-ethnic church is that you get the opportunity. You understand the opportunity you have. You get the glorious opportunity of connecting with people that aren't like you. Man, if I had a church full of people like me, that place would suck. Yes, I said that in church. Get over it. It just would. Come on, seriously. Uh, is anybody so in love with themselves that that's all they want to be around is people like them? If that's the case, be stay over there. I'll love you from here. I'm playing. I'll embrace you and you can sit at my table too. But the, the point is, is you get this opportunity to interact with people who are different from us. I don't want to interact with people like me. I want to interact with somebody who's different from me, someone who grew up different from me, who's younger than me, who's older than me, that's different skin color than me, that has a different culture than me, that was brought up differently in their home. I want to fellowship with everyone and anyone who's not like me. That's the point of love. That's how love is done. And if you don't like that in your life, let me tell you something. You're not going to like heaven, Okay? Because it's full of people not like you. John said it when he was given the revelation of heaven. He said, look, I see every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all together worshiping. If you don't like people of ethnicity or people of foreign languages or any of those things, then you're not going to like heaven. So enjoy as much of earth as you can because you probably won't be there anyway. Because you can't hate your brother and be in heaven anyway. Number four, last one is this. Worship team, if you can come and get set. I hope this message is helping somebody more than just me. And if it's just me, then that's cool too. But here's the last one. So we're going to, just as a recap, we're going to walk in humility with one another. We're going to honor one another. We're going to connect with one another. And finally, we are going to be unified with one another. We're going to be humble with one another. We're going to honor one another. We're going to connect with one another. We're going to be unified with one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Let me just fix something for you in your thinking really quick. United in thought does not mean we are united in agreement. Doesn't mean that. We don't have to think the same to be unified. It's not how that works. I guarantee in my journey with Christ, in my theology, in my doctrine, in my whatever, you will find couple of things you may not necessarily agree with but that does not mean we can't live unified with one another it doesn't I, and I, I, I use this example and it may even be getting old as an example but it's still in all of my years the best example I have is my brother Nate we are different there's some theological things we disagree on, some doctrinal things we disagree on. I will never 
ever know what it's like to be a young black man in a city dealing with both race issues, police issues, and then on top of it, throwing his own issues in the ring to say, let me just do my thing. I will never know what it's like to do a stretch of time in a prison like he did, a max security prison. I'll never know that. He'll also never know what it was like for me to grow up in my home because he's not, that's not his grow up, growing up. But we can be unified together, which we are. We are. Four and a half, five years later, the man still stands by my side regardless of the times that he's disagreed with me. Always and here's, here's what I even told him before I preached this message, that this is part of his message and part of Marvin's message is, is what, and plus what God was speaking to my heart is what developed this one. When I tell you how we love each other, we've humbled ourselves with one another. We honor one another. We've connected with each other and we are unified together. That's the gospel. Now take that and do it again. And again, 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 until Jesus comes home. And now you've accomplished the point of the gospel. Humble yourselves with one another. Honor one another in action and in speech. Connect with each other. Do life together for goodness sake. That's what's going to ultimately bring that unity together. And that is the new church. And it's really the ancient church. It's not a new idea. It's not a new thought. Every time we try to come up with a new thought or a new idea, we get it twisted and get it wrong. Let's just go back to what is written. Go back to the ancient church. Because that's the church I believe that Jesus wants to see on earth today. Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the honor that it is to preach the word, even words like this one that weigh heavy and cause us, Father, to inspect what's going on inside of us. God, I don't ever want to be the church that is all about making people come to us, but I want to be the church that has embraced the mission of your son Jesus and everywhere I go I take that mission with me so father I thank you for your call for your gospel for your written word that tells us to honor one another tells us Lord to humble ourselves with one another tells us to connect with one another and tells us to be unified with one another. Yet we cannot accomplish any of those things if we are not yet humbled before Christ, if we're not yet honoring of Christ, if we're not yet connected to Christ, and if we're not yet unified with Christ. So Father, I pray that that's the work that you will do first, that you will cause us to be humble before your son Jesus, that you will cause us to honor him, to connect with him, and God to be unified with him in our speech and in our life in our actions in our faith God I thank you for that word if you're sitting here this morning say pastor you're, you're talking to me that unity of me and Christ is, is what's missing and I, you can never have unity horizontally if you haven't first had unity vertically with him so if that's you and you're sitting here this morning, if you would 
indulge me for about 30 more seconds and bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And if that is you, that you would acknowledge that your connection with Christ is not what it should be. Maybe it's not at all, but it's not what it should be either. Then right where you're sitting, would you just lift your hand up and just put it right back down? You don't have to do anything else other than that. Just acknowledge before Christ. The second part of my appeal to you this morning is simply built around love. As the church, not as relevant faith church, but as the church, the global church, the body of Christ, our job is to embrace one another, not tolerate one another. If you are tolerating, you're missing the gospel. If you are embracing, keep embracing because you're, you're going to see God do things miraculously in and through your lives that you could never imagine.